Again, I want to welcome you this morning. For those of you who are visiting with us for the very first time and our online audience, come on church. Can we give a big welcome to all those people today? Glad you're hanging out with us. Uh, this morning, we're gonna have a great time together. And before we jump into the word, let me just reiterate something that you heard earlier this Wednesday night. Come on, somebody say Wednesday. This Wednesday night, 7 p.m., I am encouraging you strongly to tune into Facebook Live. I'm beginning a brand new teaching series on Facebook Live Wednesday night on the book of James called How Faith Works. Come on, everybody say How Faith Works. I'm gonna show you how to live the Christian life according to the times that we're living in. So I want you to see what I'm doing here, okay? So as you know, you probably already know, we're starting a new series on Revelation today, but uh, that has to pertain to the prophetic future of God for the earth. And so what I'm doing on Wednesday night, these are cousin series, that's why I want you to tune in, because Sundays we're gonna be deep diving into the God's prophetic future according to Revelation, but on Wednesday night, listen, this book of James is all about how then should we live in light of the fact that we are careening toward the prophetic end of all things according to scripture. How then should we live today as God's people? That's what Wednesday night is all about. So don't miss it. Facebook Live, 7 p.m. It's gonna be amazing. I wanna jump right in today because as you know, uh, we're starting a brand new series today called Revelation. Come on, somebody say Revelation. I want you to say it like you're awake today. Come on, somebody say, Revelation. <laughs> we are deep diving into a book that I think is uh, one of the most fascinating books of Scripture. I think it's one of the most intriguing books of Scripture, but I also think it's one of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted books of Scripture. If there's one question that I've been asked in the last three to four months more than any other question has been, Pastor do you believe that we are living in the last days right now? My answer to that is emphatically yes. In fact, that's not a new answer. Uh, the Bible's very clear that ever since Jesus, the moment Jesus ascended to heaven in book of Acts chapter one and chapter two, the moment that happened, we entered the last days. We've been in the last days ever since, but what makes today different than what it was 2,000 years ago is that there are some prophetic things that are being fulfilled in the earth even as we sit here right now that are making the time of the return of Jesus all the more closer than it ever was before. I'm here to encourage you today in this room and those of you watching online, Jesus is coming again soon. Oh, come on, you ought to get a little more excited about it. Come on, he's coming again, everybody. And that's something we should put our hope in. He is coming again. And, and so we, we want to know, God wanted us to know what these things shall be leading up to the second coming of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ. He is coming again. There, there are some things that are being fulfilled right now that are making it all the more closer, making it all the more clear. And so we're gonna be deep diving. This, this is gonna be a series. We're gonna go chapter by chapter. We're gonna, we are gonna be in this for a while, for several weeks, because I want you to understand I want us all to understand, have a working knowledge and understanding of what scripture says, what God says about the prophetic end to all things. And so as we jump into this series on Revelation, uh, part one today, I've just really titled, Welcome to the End. <laughs> Welcome to the end of all things. And today is gonna be more of an introductory uh, type of a series. I was gonna jump right into it and I thought, you know what? Let me back up on this because I really think we need to give some context to the whole book today so we can really deep dive into it and understand what's going on. And remember that it's not revelations, okay? It's revelation. It's, it's one single continuous revelation. It's not multiple revelations. So people say, a book of revelations. No, it's not revelation. It's revelation, but we like to say it that way. And, and, and why is it just revelation, singular? It's because it's one continuous revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. What's interesting is the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible are actually intertwined together. They're interconnected. Genesis is the book of beginnings and endings. Revelation is a book of endings and then beginning. So Genesis starts with creation, but ends with destruction. Revelation starts with destruction, but then ends with creation. I'm telling you, the Bible is amazing, everybody. It begins with creation, and it's gonna end with a new creation. Amen, everybody. So from creation to new creation, that's what the Bible is all about. 
Now, as we deep dive into this study, you need to understand from the outset of this that Revelation is not a book about the future. Listen to me. Revelation is a book about your future. It's a book about my future. It's not some scientific study about what might happen next. This is a very personal book of the Bible. Every single one of us in this room watching online, every single one of us is in is mentioned in the book of Revelation, not by name, but we are all mentioned. Because at the end of time, we're either going to be standing with the great multitude of believers worshiping Jesus forever, or we're going to be standing with a host of unbelievers at the great white throne judgment to be banished from God's presence forever. So everybody in all of human history is mentioned in the book of Revelation. And I have a deep conviction about this book. I really believe wholeheartedly that God wrote Revelation to help us understand the future, not to keep us from understanding the future. Yet all of us, when we read Revelation, especially for the first time, don't you get a little dizzy? <laughs> you know, When you open the book and try to read it, you open up and you, you start to kind of start reading it, and it just does some things to you, and you just wonder, you know, what in the world is this talking about, right? But I can't think of a better time to study it than right now. This is the time when people are consumed with fear about the future. How many of you know there's an incredible amount of fear in our culture right now? People are fearful of the virus pandemic, fearful of economic chaos, natural disasters, government corruption, civil unrest, international tension, and people are in a frenzy of fear. And yet with everything going on in our world today, as followers of Jesus Christ, let me just encourage you, we don't have anything to be afraid of. Come on, somebody. Our lives will still be filled with hope. Nothing can take our hope from us. If you don't get anything else out of this book, you better get that right there, that there is nothing. There's no government failure, no economic chaos, no natural disaster, no civil unrest, no virus. There is nothing that can happen that can take our hope away from us in Jesus Christ. Some people read Revelation and they don't see the hope in it. I read Revelation, I can't help but see the hope that's in this book. And my prayer is as we jump into this together that our hope would increase exponentially. That in a world that is so afraid of the future, how many believe that we of all people need to be people of hope? Come on, we're the ones who have something to hope in. We're the ones who have something to hope for. But I know that reading Revelation is a lot like being dropped in a different world when it comes to the Bible. And so what I want to do today is I just want to do uh, an introduction to the book. I want us to walk through it today, kind of an overview, uh, kind of a holistic uh, overview of the book and orient ourselves to it as we prepare to really dive in depth into the study next Sunday. Understand that you, there, there must be a working understanding of this book before we go into it very deeply. So let's, let's talk about that today. If you got the note sheet, I want you to get ready because I got a lot to give you in a very short period of time. If you're online, our host has, has probably dropped a link to the note sheet for you to take and follow along as we journey together. Number one, write this down because the first thing you got to understand is you got to understand the background. You got to understand the background of this book to really unpack it the right way. It's important to know some things. It's important to have some right context to this. And so let me just give you several things about the background of this book. First of all, it was recorded by the Apostle John. Okay, this was one of the original, one of the original 12 disciples who followed and walked with Jesus. And I say recorded, somebody say recorded, I say recorded because actually it was, it was not written by him, it was actually written by God. God wrote it down, delivered it to Jesus, who then delivered it to an angel, who then delivered it to John. And so John just recorded what God said to write down. So understand, this is a letter that was written by God to us. And here's what's amazing. Revelation is a book with a guaranteed blessing attached to it for those who choose to read it. You'd be shocked how many Christians avoid this book. I just avoid it all to go, like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. But there's a guaranteed blessing to those who open it up and who read it. Where do you get that, Pastor? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Because Revelation chapter one, the very first couple of verses in Revelation one and verse three, the Bible said, God said this, blessed, somebody shout blessed. Blessed is the one who what? 
who reads the words of this prophecy. In other words, you ain't even got to understand it. You're blessed if you just read it. He said, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And what? Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. And so understand, the book of Revelation, like all the books of the Bible, is meant to impact our lives. It is meant to make us different. Listen, the whole purpose of prophecy, we miss the whole purpose of prophecy if it doesn't conform us into Jesus Christ in our daily living. Miss the whole point. We have to take it to heart. And why do I believe this? Because James chapter one in verse 22, the Bible says that God's word is a message to what? To obey and not just to listen to. So we're not just to be hearers of the word, But God says we are to be doers of the word of God. In fact, in James chapter four and verse seven, it says knowing what is is right to do and not doing it is a what? It's a sin. So if I hear something that God wants me to do and then I don't act on it, the Bible says, guess what? That's a sin. So this cannot be a cold study. It has to be a very personal study that has an incredible impact on our life. I believe one of the major impacts that the book of Revelation should have on us is it should draw our hearts to worship of God. As we study Revelation, listen, you're gonna, you're gonna hear the word worship come up more than you, than you could even know. Understand, this is a worship book. It's a book about how great God is and how our hearts can be drawn to him in a very special way. So this book is recorded by the Apostle John, but then we understand this, that it was written from a place called Patmos. Understand that the island of Patmos was a a Roman prison island. It was basically the, the Roman Alcatraz of its day. It was a terrible place to be. And the Apostle John, the Bible records, was exiled here later in his life by the Roman government. So he was kind of an older man. He had been preaching the gospel. He had been advancing the kingdom of God. He had been doing all these things, building the church, taking the gospel to to, to the edges of the known world. And he had been arrested several times. In fact, now he's later in life. And now the Roman government just got fed up and they just banished him to this island of Patmos where they banished the worst of the worst criminals. In fact, uh, many scholars, this is not written in scripture, but there are a lot of credible historical writings that say that the emperor Domitian actually exiled John after he tried to execute him twice and he refused to die. The last execution history says they tried was they boiled the man in oil. And after he refused, now we don't know if it's true, that's not in scripture, but there are many credible historical writings, many scholars actually say that there's a lot of truth in that, that when he refused to die, they just said, banish him to Patmos. And so there John is, he, 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 John the apostle, he's the last living member of the original 12 disciples and he is exiled at the end of his life on this lonely island. Understand this also, part of the background. It, this book was written about 95 AD. This was 95 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, during the reign of the emperor Domitian. So so time out, time out. Can you just imagine how John must have felt at this time in his life? He must have felt like, you know what? I've come to the end of all God wants me to do, his purpose on my life. I've been faithful to him. I've served him. I've loved him heart and soul. I've given my whole life to the gospel and to advancing his kingdom. And this is what I get at the end of my life. Maybe you've had some of those questions lingering in your mind about your own life. Here he is on a lonely island. How could God even use him here? But the Bible reveals that it was in this place that God comes to him, takes him to heaven in a vision, shows him things that nobody has ever seen, lets him see the future in a way that nobody could ever even imagine, and he had him record it, so you and I are sitting here talking about it right now. The point is this, don't ever think that God's done with you. Don't ever think that he's through with your life. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you are, God still has a plan for your life and he can use you right where you are. Hallelujah. Final thing about understanding the background of this book is this, write this down, is that this book is prophetic in message 
That just simply means it looks toward the future. It foretells or it foretells what God is going to do, but it's apocalyptic in form. It's prophetic in message, but it's apocalyptic in form. Now, when you hear that word apocalypse, we tend to think that means destruction. And that's not what it means biblically, okay? I wanna clarify that. Write this down. Apocalypse simply means to unveil. Simply means to reveal. It's kind of, it's the, this is the kind of writing that sort of pulls the curtains open, as it were, and shows you something clearly that you haven't seen before. This is the kind of writing that was very prevalent in the days of John. They, they, they wrote like this. This was very common. We don't see this kind of writing anymore like, like people saw it back then, but this was the kind of writing that, that people of John's day were very familiar with. And so God used what they were familiar with, and he used it to picture for them what he was going to do in the future. What's interesting is the, the images and the pictures and the symbols and, and many of the things that we read about today in Revelation, we think that they're weird. When you, when you read some of these pictures of what these creatures look like and what all this stuff that happened, we go, man, that's really weird. That sounds like Star Trek or something. It's crazy. But the people in John's day would have read it and they would have understood it clearly. So as we study Revelation, we're going to look at all of these pictures and all of these symbols, and we're going to study what they really mean, which will be very easy to begin to see what God is talking about when it comes to the future. So Revelation is a book that's prophetic in message, but it's apocalyptic in form. It unveils. When I say it's apocalyptic, it just means that it has symbols. Somebody say symbols. It has symbols, and Revelation is filled with symbols. There are 300 symbols in Revelation. You've got to be careful, though, because symbols could lead you to bad interpretation of Scripture if you just do it out of your own head. If you don't study the whole book, if you don't take time to really read what's, what all is written, then all of a sudden you come up with a terrible interpretation just because it's your idea because you haven't taken the time to totally understand what God's saying and to study it. There's a law, I believe there's a law of Bible study that applies when you're studying symbols like in the book of Revelation, and it's called the law of common sense. <laughs> Come on, how many believe we need to insert that law in our society right now? The law of common sense. When you read scripture, you gotta read scripture with the law of common sense. Basically, when the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. If you read something and you think, well, that makes sense, don't try to make it mean something else. God isn't trying to be veiled to us. He wants us to understand his word. That's why he wrote it to us. So these, these symbols in Revelation, some of them are explained very clearly. Some of them are explained by the Old Testament prophetic writings, and we're gonna get into all that. And some of these symbols are not explained. Sometimes when we study Revelation, it's like there are missing blanks that we're trying, missing holes that we're trying to fill. And because there's these missing blanks, you can't understand everything. But we're gonna jump into it together. Anybody interested in why symbols are used in the book of Revelation? Like three of you, okay, that's great. Let me show you real quick. Why symbols are used in the book of Revelation. Write this down real quick. I'm just gonna take you through a couple things. Just, just give you a little overview. Number one, God used symbols in Revelation because they hide the truth from God's enemies. Jesus, in fact, the Bible says Jesus taught in parables, stories that had a hidden meaning to them. In fact, he was inquired by his disciples why he spoke to the people in parables. And he flat out said, it's because I'm hiding from those who are unspiritual, those who do not have the things of God in their heart. I'm hiding the truth from them. God wants it to be revealed to his children. So we understand that symbols are used in Revelation, number one, to hide the truth from, from, from God's enemies. So these symbols in Revelation that were written as all apocalyptic literature was written in that day, it was to hide what was really being said. It was sort of a code kind of a thing to keep hidden from the Roman government what was being said. So you have to understand, this is a time of intense persecution of the church. The emperor Domitian was one of the most evil, one of the most cruel Roman emperors of all history, probably unleashed more persecution of the church than any emperor arrival to him. So when 
believers were writing things back and forth. They had to write sometimes in code. They had to write sometimes, because if you were even found with a writing like the book of Revelation in your possession, and it flat out criticized the Roman government or any kind of governmental authority, you would be killed and your whole family just for possessing it. So you understand, symbols were used to hide the truth from God's enemies. Write this down. God also used symbols in this book because they have a timeless nature to them. Symbols have kind of a timeless nature. I believe that's one reason why God used all these pictures in Revelation. It wasn't just for then, but it's also for now and what he wants to do in our lives today. For instance, when Revelation talks about the beast, come on, everybody say the beast. When it says the beast, a beast is scary to all generations. When was the beast not been scary? It's always scary. And this, this, this fear that we have about the beast in Revelation that's destroyed by God's power, that's a picture that's always going to have power in people's lives. So symbols were used to hide the truth from God's enemies. They were used because they have a timeless nature to them. But the third reason is, is because they have an emotional power in them. Symbols hit our heart. Certain symbols that you see today that just kind of hit your heart. Revelation is not a study of a bunch of cold, dry facts. It's not what this is. It's a personal study about what God's going to do in the future and what the world is going to be like one day. Listen, if you can read this book and not be hit emotionally, just even a little bit, about what's gonna happen in the future and about what it means to worship God in this kind of way and about how God's opening up the future and at some point to create an incredible new heaven and a new earth. If you can't read this and be moved emotionally even a little bit, then you've missed the whole point of all these symbols and pictures that God is bringing to life in the book of Revelation. So understand the purpose of, the, uh, of this book, all the symbols in it and all the pictures in it is not to confuse us. Listen to me. It's to give us confidence. The purpose of the book of Revelation isn't to make us wonder. It's to make us worship. It's to make us worship. Let me just encourage you. As we study this book, we're going to discover a sense of confidence in what God says about the future and a sense of worship of the God that you and I are going to spend an eternity with. We're going to see it all unroll in Scripture. That's what this book was written for. I'm telling you, it is overflowing with hope. It really is. So first, understand the background of Revelation. Helps kind of orient yourself to this whole book. And we're going to do that as we study through it in the, the many weeks coming up ahead together. Are y'all still with me? I know I'm kind of moving fast. I got a lot to give you. So first of all, understand the background of the book. But here's the second thing. Write this down. Don't miss the emphasis of the book of Revelation. Don't miss the main emphasis. Don't miss the main character. People do this all the time. They, 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 minor in, they major in minors when it comes to Revelation. They make something the main thing that's not the main thing. Don't miss the emphasis. Don't miss the main character. Don't miss the main deal. The most important thing in Revelation. What am I getting at? Well, the beast is an important thing. And it's actually mentioned 37 times in Scripture. The beast is mentioned. The throne of God is important. And it's actually mentioned 41 times in Scripture. The angels are mentioned about 71 times in Scripture. But the most important character in the book of Revelation is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Come on, Jesus is the main character of the story. On every page, through every chapter after chapter after chapter, it's all about Jesus. And in the Revelation, we see him called many things. He's called the Son of Man. He's called the Lamb of God. He's called the Rider on the White Horse and a number of other names he's called. But he is the central person in the book of Revelation. You can't miss that. To miss to miss that fact that Jesus is the central person of revelation in the midst of studying, you know, what does this mean and what does that mean? Listen, if you miss that most important thing, it's, it's like going to New York Harbor and seeing all the boats and completely missing the Statue of Liberty. It's like going to Mount Rushmore and, and only noticing all the trees and not even noticing that there's statues on the mountain. 
It's like going to, to, to the Grand Canyon and all you're focused on, you're standing on the edge of, of, of this great expanse and all you're focused on is the little ant line going between your feet and you never lift your eyes to see this incredible view. You need to know that Jesus is what revelation is all about. It's all about, come on, how many of you know it started with Jesus and I'm telling you it's going to end with Jesus. He is the one who brings the hope. To our life. So we have to understand the background of Revelation. Don't miss the emphasis of Revelation. Number three, write this down. Recognize the purpose of Revelation. Why did God write this to us? And there have been many different ideas over the years on this. In fact, there are four general interpretations of the book of Revelation. Four things that people have come up with over the years. I'm going to give you all four of them right now you probably have heard one or more of these interpretations of this book. First of all, there is what we call the preterist view. And the preterist view of Revelation is that this, this book is a book about the past. Revelation's about the Roman government. That's all it was about was the Roman government of that day and all the symbols, all the pictures were fulfilled back then. The book ended, all of it was fulfilled when the Roman Empire was destroyed. But understand, Revelation is an example, as many Old Testament books of Scripture are, of what they call double application prophecy. You can't read this book without recognizing that, that, that some of it is about Rome, some of it is about the Emperor Domitian who ruled over the Roman Empire at the time. You, you can't read the book without seeing that. And so it was, it was giving the Christians of that day some hope. Because understand, they were under intense persecution from the Roman government at that time. But it's just as obvious as you read this book that that's not all there is to the book of Revelation. Many of the prophecies that, that, that had first fulfillment or a, a smaller fulfillment when in the time that it was first written, they also have its greatest fulfillment at the end of days. So yes, there are some things about Rome in, in the book of Revelation, but that's not the end of the story. And that's not what it was all about. There's double application prophecy in scripture. It's very obvious as you hear the words of destruction, as you hear the words of a new creation, there is something more that's going on here than just something that happened in the past. Are y'all with me? So there's a, there's a second view of Revelation that people have had over the years, and it's called the historically continuous view the historically continuous view, and this is the view that the book of Revelation is the history of the church in the days of John. It's just the history of the church. It tells about what's happening in the church and all the chaos that's happening in the church. If you hear people talk about, some of you've heard this actually, if you hear people talk about Revelation as solely a book that is about the Catholic church and how evil the Catholic church is and how God's gonna bring it down, that's this view right here. I don't believe that's what Revelation is about, by the way. This book is about the whole world, not just the church. But there are some who have this view based on their own experiences or maybe their own hurts in life. I do not agree with this view. Let me just state that for the record, okay? The third view is this. There is the spiritualized view. This is a view that basically says that the book of Revelation is purely symbolic, it's just, a, it's just a, a bunch of great pictures, right? God just wanted to give us pictures of what the end would be like. None of these things are going to actually happen, okay? It's just sort of a picture of what could maybe happen, all right? I do not agree with this view either because it's obvious as you read this book, it has this, this urgency of reality to it. It's not just some nice book about what will never happen, right? How many believe God doesn't say anything unless he means what he says? So it's not just some nice book about what's never gonna happen. No, no, no. God is speaking to us about a real future that he has outlined for us in this book. The fourth view is this, write this down. It is the futurist view. And that is that the prophecies of Revelation are about the end times and about things that are yet to come to pass. Now obviously, as you've heard me talk about this, this is the view that we believe. As we study it, we discover what great things that God is going to do in the future. Some of them are terrible, and some of them are wonderful. 
Are y'all still with me? So let's recap here. To understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand the background of this book. You, have to, you can't miss the emphasis of the book. And you've got to recognize the purpose of this book. But there's a fourth thing, and this is probably the most important of all this introduction today. And that is number four. And that is you need to see the hope in this book. You've got to see the hope in it. This is so, so important. When you, when, you, when you take this book as a whole and you see that it's talking about the future, listen, as Christ followers, I don't want us to miss this, the purpose of this book is about one thing, and that is hope. Come on, somebody shout hope. Understand, the believers, the believers who first read this book back in John's day were under incredibly intense persecution. They were in times that probably none of us will ever see in our life. But I will tell you this, we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world right now that are experiencing it. Did you know, because the news will never report it, did you know that the, the persecution of the church globally is higher today than it even was back then? You'll never, you need to go online and research. There are organizations that actually track it and they have websites that will tell you the stories of the martyrs of the church today. Just this past week, I forget what nation it was on the African continent, but they had some extremists went into a church, slaughtered 40 people just because they gathered to pray. Slaughtered them right there and they, and they get away with it there. We see this, but during John's day, they were under intense persecution. Think about it, if you were living in this in a time of intense persecution and your life was falling apart and you had no hope and the world was a terrible place to live in, most horrible thing you can imagine to live in, can you come to grips with how much hope it would have given you to open up this book and realize that this world is not going to last like this? It's not gonna keep going on and on like this. God is gonna bring it all to an end one day. It's gonna be a terrible day, but he will bring it to an end. And when he does, oh, come on. The Bible says he's gonna create a new heaven and he's gonna create a new earth. And I'm gonna be with him there forever and forever. And, then there, and when we get there, there's gonna be no more suffering. There's gonna be no more tears. There's gonna be no more pain. There's gonna be no more sorrow, no more grieving, no more death. For the old order of things has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Can you imagine the need for that kind of hope in the suffering, persecuted world that John was living in? You see, sometimes when we read Revelation, we, 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 we get very scientific about, the, about stuff. We try to figure out all the ins and the outs of everything. Don't get me wrong. I do think that we need to study Scripture in depth. I think we do need to do that. But we cannot miss the hope that is in this book. And many people do. Many people, their, their, their first feelings about the future or what God's gonna do in the future, it doesn't revolve around hope. Instead, their feelings revolve around fear. But listen, if you read Revelation or you study it or you've been taught it and you don't see the hope that is in this book, then you're either reading it wrong, studying it wrong, or you've been taught it wrong. As we journey through Revelation, it's my prayer that we'll get this incredible, awesome explosion of hope injected into our lives. I'm telling you, I hope it's so incredible that it overflows to everybody around us, especially in the days and time that we're living in. That's the kind of hope that Revelation gives. You've got to recognize the purpose of this book. Now, I think it's important before we start deep diving into the details of, of Revelation, I think it's important to get the big picture of the book. So we're gonna elevate just for a few minutes and we're gonna elevate a thousand feet above it and look at it from, from, a, from a big picture and then we're gonna deep dive into it next week. In fact, Billy Graham tells a story about going to the Louvre Museum in Paris and standing close to one of those impressionist paintings. You ever seen one of those impressionist paintings where it looks like a bunch of squiggly gobbledygook, but there's a picture in it, you gotta cross your eyes and hold your breath for 10 seconds to see it? You know what I'm talking about, right? So he, talk, he tells this story and he says they were standing in front of this impressionist painting and he couldn't grasp it. And so Billy Graham turned to his wife and said, I don't see what it is. And Ruth Graham looked at him and she said, just take a step back a little bit. 
So he stepped back and then he could see the whole picture and he got it because he just took a step back. And here's what Billy Graham wrote about that experience related to the book of Revelation. He said this and I quote, he said, I've been standing too close to the masterpiece. Each individual detail, each patch of color, each brush stroke kept me from seeing the effect of the canvas as a whole. He said, I was bogged down in the details, but when I stepped back across the hall, the mystery suddenly disappeared and the image composed by the artist was clearly visible. For too long, he said, I suspect too many of us have examined the book of Revelation in the same manner. We've turned this great masterpiece into a series of images and brushstrokes. And we've tried to outguess each other of the modern meaning of every star and every dragon and every number. But as, and as a result, he said, we've lost the grand design of the prophet's mission. And we've also missed the urgency of his warning. And so let's step back for a moment. Let's step back away from it and let's kind of maybe even elevate a thousand feet above it and let's look at this book a little bit. Let's take a tour through it and see what it has to say to us because interestingly, the outline of the whole book of Revelation is found in the very first chapter of Revelation. Very clear what God is leading John to record in Revelation chapter one and verse 19. He says, right now, therefore, what you have Come on, work with me. What you have and what is and what will take place later. So those are the three divisions of the book of Revelation. Write this down right now in your notes. The first division is the things which are seen. That's Revelation chapter one. Guess who John sees in the first chapter of Revelation? The main character, the Lord Jesus Christ. Before you even read anything else, when I say the name Jesus Christ, what do you picture? Some picture a baby in a manger, some picture a gentle shepherd, some picture a healer or a man on the cross or somebody resurrected from the dead, but there's a picture at the start of Revelation unlike any picture of Jesus that you've ever seen. It's a picture of incredible power because that's who Jesus is. Can I get an amen, somebody? And here's what I mean, because right after that, it says that John, he wrote this down. He sees the main character. He says he is one, is one like the son of man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. That represents power and honor. His head and his hair were like white wool, as white as snow. That refers to wisdom and his eyes were like flames of fire. He could see anything and he could see everything. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. That's the picture of Jesus Christ. The picture of power and might. Come on, aren't you glad we don't serve a wimpy Jesus? I don't care what these Renaissance artists painted thousand years ago of this frail, anemic, pale looking Jesus. Uh, that's not the Jesus I serve. The Jesus I serve was a man's man. He had strength and power and honor and a fierceness, but compassion and mercy and love. John writes about what he sees. I'm having fun with this. Y'all may not, but I'm having a good time. He writes First of all, the things which are seen, but next he begins to write about the things which are. And this is Revelation chapter two and three. He talks about the seven churches that existed in that day, the church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna and Pergamum and Theatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea, these seven churches in Revelation. Jesus had a message to each one of them. The seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation are Jesus's letters. They're his epistles to the church of that day that John's living in, but it also applies to the church of today. And you'll see, you would see in the, church, the seven churches that, 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 that most of those churches have lost their love for him. Some of them, their hearts had grown cold. Some of them have become impure. A few of them have been faithful and Jesus honors him in those letters. He challenges them to be the people that God called them to be in the midst of a difficult world they live in. I don't know about you, but I think we need that challenge today to be that kind of people in the hour that we're living in now. And so John records the things that he sees. 
and the things which are. But then next, he records the things which shall be. And this is Revelation chapter 4 all the way to chapter 22, that whole breadth of, uh, 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 of that span of chapters. As you enter into chapter 4 of Revelation, the theme changes from earth to heaven. This is where, listen, this is where we will begin our study of the book of Revelation next Sunday. We could go back, listen, we could go back and look at what Jesus said to all the seven churches in those chapters, but I'm telling you, it is a long study in and of itself. How many of you like us to come back to that at some point and do it? Because it's really powerful. But what we're going to do next Sunday is we're going to start in chapter four with what he has to say about the things that shall be. It's about final things. In chapter four, we're going to see that John is invited by God to, quote, come up and see, come up and see. And understand, he doesn't just see heaven, he's taken to heaven to see what God is doing there. And he vividly describes the throne of God. We're gonna look at that next week in depth. Ooh. I'm telling you, I'm having fun with this. Can you imagine what it would be like if you were John to be, to in a moment, to be transported to heaven and to see the throne of God and Jesus sitting on the throne? I, I, I can't even imagine it. In fact, the Bible says that John fell down before his face, right? So revelation begins with this spirit of worship. And then the truth begins to pour out about final things because while he's there in the throne zone, he begins to, it begins to be revealed to him what shall be. And I'm gonna run through this with you. Are y'all still with me? Tell everybody in the host teams, those who are hearing me, I'm going over my time. Okay, I don't have a time, but whatever. Okay. First of all, as he begins to roll it out, write this down. He begins to talk about the truth of the final conflict. This is the seven seals of Revelation. It's Revelation chapter five through chapter eight. Understand, Revelation is a book about sevens. Everybody say seven. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. So as God unveils things in sevens, he unveils what's going to happen at the end of time. And we're going to see that. And the prelude to this is, it says in scripture there, who is worthy to open these seven seals? That's what was announced in heaven when John was there. He heard a voice say, who is worthy to open these seven seals so we can see what's going on? And of course, Jesus was the only one who's worthy. We're going to study. We're going to study that next week. It's an amazing moment. Because God reveals these seven seals to John and, 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 and John weeps, it says in scripture, because there's no one found who is worthy to show the future and what it's going to be. And we're gonna see that Jesus marches into the throne room and he is able to open the seven seals. And as he opens the seals, the Bible says that the angels, the living creatures around the throne sing to him, holy, 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 worthy are you, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Call. Listen, when you read the book of Revelation, don't miss the songs of the book. It's filled with songs that are giving glory to God. And we're going to look at each one of them as we study through together. And then he begins to open these seven seals, man. And they are the seven seals of conflict. And here we see in the seven seals, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You see a white horse of conquest. You see a red horse of war. You see a black horse of famine. You see the pale horse of death. And we're going to study those in depth. And then he comes to the fifth seal, and this is where he opens the seal, and the voice of the martyrs who have been killed for the, and, and, and put to death for the name of Jesus. Yes, there will be people who come to Christ during the tribulation. There will be people who miss the rapture. Oh, listen, could you imagine the horror of one day being at home all by yourself, people are out doing errands, and your cell phone rings, and someone's crying on the other end, there's mass wrecks happening, planes are coming down, everything's going to chaos, and it hits your heart in that moment. You know exactly what it is. You were in church your whole life, and you missed the rapture. My God, we may not even get to the second service today. I just felt that right there. 
And we see that the martyrs, because people will miss the rapture, but in the tribulation, we see that people are still coming to Christ. Why? Because the spirit of God is still moving in the earth and he still is a God of mercy. And we hear the voice, he opens the fifth seal and the voices of the martyrs are crying out, how long, how long does this have to go on? We're gonna study that. In the sixth seal, we see the great earthquake that's going to happen in the world. And then we come to the seventh seal. Now watch, because here's how, here's how Revelation fits together. I'm gonna give you an illustration. How many of you have seen those Russian dolls that, that where you have a doll and then you open it up and there's a little one inside? Then you open that one up and there's another one inside. You open that one up. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand around. So th- this is kind of, that's how Revelation works. Okay, you have these seven seals and when you open them all up, you get to the seven seal and guess what's inside? Seven trumpets. That's kind of how it fits together, but, it, but it's different. When you, when you open up the seventh seal and you go to the seven trumpets, it's as if there's a bigger doll inside, not a smaller one. And then a bigger one and then an even bigger one. This is how God unveils the future as he peels back what's going to happen at the end of time. So as we journey through the seven seals, the final conflict, and we come to the very seventh seal, we open it up and it opens up the seven trumpets. Follow me, because write this down, because this is the story of the final destruction. We go from final conflict to final destruction. And this is the seven trumpets. And that takes place in Revelation chapters nine through 10. The first trumpet, the third of the earth is destroyed. The second trumpet, a third of the sea is destroyed. The third, a third of the rivers are destroyed. A fourth, the third of the lights in the heavens are destroyed. The fifth, the Bible says the fifth trumpet sounds. And when that happens, demons come up out of hell to torment mankind. We're gonna study that. The sixth trumpet blows and a third of all mankind is destroyed. Why is God showing us all of this? Watch, God is showing us what's going to happen in the future so that we know that no matter what happens and no matter how bad it gets, we always can have hope. Amen. The world is not a perfect place, ladies and gentlemen. And listen to me, just like death doesn't come easy for individuals, death is not gonna come easy to this world. It's going to be a time of final conflict and final destruction. Oh, but don't forget the end of the book because God is going to bring us into a time of a new creation. A new creation's coming. So the last three trumpets of the seven, the last three are what they call the the, the, the trumpet are the three woes. Somebody say woe. The last three trumpets of the seven are the three woes of scripture. Woe to Woe to, and we're gonna, we're gonna study all of that. Then when the seventh trumpet sounds, it opens up the seven bowls. The third woe is the opening of the seven bowls. So you see that there's an intricacy to this book. There's an organization to God's plan. Even in the midst of all this destruction, there's an organized way that God is unveiling what he's going to do. Do you see the tension between those two things? There's destruction all over, but you see God's plan and his intricacy and in how he's working all things. Aren't you glad that God is always in control? Amen. Amen, always. Now, before the seven bowls are opened, it's almost like there's this little pause because you have the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and before you get to the seven bowls, there's this pause in scripture and we see it come to historical visions. This is Revelation chapters 11 through 14. There's sort of a pause, a timeout. And some historic visions. There's, there's a vision of worship. There's, there's, there's a, you see the temple that's being opened. That's going to be a great chapter to study, man. This is the, where you see the story of the dragon and the woman and the baby. And it reminds you kind of an apocalyptic horror Christmas story. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. But the Bible says this woman has a baby. And, and the dragon comes to attack the baby. And you have this picture of Jesus and Satan. The dragon is Satan. The woman is God's people, the church the people who have come from Jesus. Why is there so much evil uh, upheaval going on in the world? Never forget this, because the Bible makes it clear why Satan is reeling like he never has before during this time of history. Because Revelation chapter 12 says, Satan is filled with fury. Why? Because he knows that his time is short. Never forget that. And then we see in this historical vision, we see the vision of the beast. And there are two beasts that are mentioned in chapter 13. There's the beast of the sea, 
which is the beast, uh, and then there's the beast of the earth. The beast of the sea is a governmental beast. The beast of the earth is a religious beast. And this is the beast, the religious beast, is the one that has a number attached to himself. It's one of the most famous things in all the book of Revelation. Everybody has heard of the mark of the beast, right? People are even talking right now, oh, this is leading to chips being put in human beings, everything going on there, we're gonna have chips in it. Yeah, that probably will happen one day. But thank God I ain't gonna be here. So hey, so if that's the speculation right now in the earth that we are only a couple of steps from that, how soon do you think Jesus is coming? Whoo, the number, the mark of the beast. I'm telling you, more people know about 666 than they do about the one who has fire in his eyes. And I think that's sad. Come on, Jesus is the central figure, not the beast. But we've always been fascinated by evil. And by destruction, people have always been very fascinated with this beast who has the number of man. And this number 666, man, it's been kicked around all throughout history. And we're going to talk about it when we get in that chapter. It's going to be fascinating. And we still speculate today about who the Antichrist is going to be. They've been speculating forever. They thought Hitler was the Antichrist. They thought everybody in world leader was the Antichrist. You know, everybody, everybody speculates as to what it is. We still do. But listen clearly, listen clearly. When this person arises in the earth, there's going to be no need for speculation. The Bible says it's going to be clear as crystal. In fact, we're not even raptured yet, according to Scripture, when the Antichrist arises. And we know him. It doesn't mean that he's come to full power, but the Bible's very clear. The people of God in the earth are going to see him, and they are going to know who he is. There's going to be no question. When you see that happen... You better get your heart right. At that point, how many of you know, you move from speculation to clarity? Real quick. As we go through these historic visions, it goes through the Lamb of God. It goes through the earthly witnesses. We're going to talk about that. It goes through the angelic announcements and the great harvest at the end of time. Imagine this, Jesus and the angels with sickles harvesting the earth, separating the wheat from the chaff for the great and final judgment. And so we journey from the final conflict, the seven seals, to through the, the final destruction, the seven trumpets, through these historic visions, and then we come to this, and that is the final wrath. These are the seven bowls of Revelation. This is Revelation chapters 15 and 16. Never forget that God hates sin. An unbelieving world cannot understand this. But when God pours his wrath out against sin... Because of the destruction that's brought on this earth, he does it because of the destruction that it's actually sin has brought on us as his creation. And at the end, he will pour out his wrath upon the earth once and for all, and it will be finished. In fact, these are in scripture, these are called the last plagues. Somebody say the last plagues. And they're found in Revelation chapter 15 and verse 1. It's John said, Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Watch this. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to what? To completion. And if you go through this list, and we're going to study them together, but you're going to read about sores, and you're going to read about the sea turning into blood, and rivers around the earth turning into blood, and fire coming from the sun. The sun's going to heat so hot that you literally die if you walk outside. It can kill you inside even. We're going we're to read about how the beast kingdom is going to be turned into complete darkness. The river Euphrates in the Middle East is going to completely dry up. And right after that is the world's Armageddon. We're going to talk about the battle of Armageddon and what that means. The great and final war. And then comes a great and final earthquake that we're going to talk about. And then the Bible says, and I quote, it is done. Remember, remember that on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And he meant our salvation is finished. But at the end of the book of Revelation, God the Father is going to say, it is finished. And he means the judgment is finished. It is over. And let me tell you, things are going to change from that moment on, man. But before God can make everything new, 
there's one final thing that is to come, and that is the final judgment. And this is Revelation chapter 17 through 20. The first ones to be judged are gonna be the woman and the beast that are mentioned in scripture. The beast is the governing beast that we talked about a minute ago. The woman is Babylon, that great city. Understand, both of them are related and attached to Satan. And we'll talk about the fall of Babylon. We're gonna talk about what Babylon means when we get into this book, I promise. It talks about the fall of the beast and the fall of the false prophet that are gonna be judged. And in these chapters, it also talks about the new millennium. The thousand year binding of Satan into the abyss and the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth. And we'll talk about what this means, what it all means for us. What is God saying to us? And then we see finally the fall of Satan himself, the final judgment of all. But that's not where the book ends. If it ended there, it'd be kind of sad. It'd be kind of gripping like when you walk out of a, a movie that's real moving, you just kind of walk out real quiet, like, wow, oh my goodness, right? But that's not how the book ends, praise Jesus. Because the book actually ends like this. The book ends with the final and eternal celebration. And this is Revelation chapter 21 and 22. That is God's end to everything. Revelation 21 and verse five, he said, behold, I am making everything new. I don't know about you, but I can't even imagine a more dramatic end to the book of Revelation than this. With all that happens, with all that's poured out to come to the end, and God says, it is done. Now the judgment. Now I'm making everything new. I'm gonna make everything like you've never even seen it before. You're not gonna have any more tears again. No sorrow, no hurt, no pain, no grief. I'm gonna make everything new. You won't even need the sun or the stars anymore because I will be the light. I'll be the light that you need for all of eternity. Another thing that we can look forward to is the tree of life. Back in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, God planted two trees in the garden, if you remember, right? He planted the tree of life, and he planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We know that Adam and Eve sinned, and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they did not eat from the tree of life, because they would have lived forever. So God prevented them from even eating of that. Interesting, God had life and death right in front of them and they chose to eat of death. They could have eaten of this tree and lived forever, and they didn't. And God says, I have to banish them from the garden lest they eat of the tree of life and they live eternally. And listen to me, that same tree is planted smack in the middle of heaven, and you and I are gonna eat from it for all of eternity. Everything changes. That's how the book of Revelation ends. Everything new, a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. And Jesus tells John, write these words down, for behold, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. So you read this book, and, and what do you end up with? What should your response be to Revelation? We talked a lot about hope today, but as you read and study this book, the personal response that we should have should be the same, is the same response, it should be as the same response as John the Apostle had and what his response was. As he was encouraged with all of this, write this down, John was compelled to respond with worship. With worship. What else can we do? In Revelation 22, this is how, this is how John ends. He says, hi John, and the one who heard and saw these things, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel that had shown, that was showing them to me. But he said, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and prophets and all who keep the words of this book. He said, don't worship me. Read this out loud with me, everybody. But do what? Worship God. Come on, somebody. Come on. That's, come on. How many believe that he is worthy of our worship? Come on, he is the one who was and who is and who is to come. And he is worthy of our worship. Every head bowed, every eye closed in this moment. If you're watching online, I know I gave you a lot today. I know I gave you a lot, but I just wanted to do an overview 
so you know exactly what we're doing and what we're going into in the next weeks to come. I'm telling you, this is gonna be an inspiring, hope-filled, this is not a, this is not a, a, a fear series, this is a faith series. This should stir your faith, man. But I wanna pray for you right now, very quickly. If you're in this room, you're watching online, and you say, you know what? If the trumpet were to sound today and Jesus were to return, I don't know, I don't know that I know that I would make the rapture. Can I tell you something? The rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ are two totally different events according to scripture. We, we kind of use those terms interchangeably. They're not. The rapture is when we as God's people are in a twinkle of an, of an eye. We are raised to meet him in the air. The second coming is when we come with him to earth. That's after the tribulation is over. Here's the shocker. The shocker is there are prophetic fulfillments that have to happen according to scripture before the second coming. But there is no prophetic fulfillments that need to happen for the rapture. It could happen at any moment. Even when Jesus was asked for the time of his coming, he doesn't even know. He said, I don't even know. That is reserved for my father in heaven. So what am I telling you? If you think today, well, I've got time because there's still things that need to happen in the earth. Don't, do not be deceived. Jesus, the trumpet could blow at any moment. And if you're not sure that you would make it, let me tell you, my friend, all the stuff that we just looked at today, you do not want to be alive for that. You do not want to be in this earth to experience all of this. There is a way out. Just as in the days of Noah, the Bible, Jesus said, there is an ark that he has provided to escape this judgment. What is it? The rapture. Are you ready? If you're not, I want to pray with you. I want to pray that you come into right standing with God today through Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed. That's you and you're watching right now. You're in this room. Especially if you're in this room, let me just... Let me just know who you are. This is a time to be bold. I'm not gonna have you come to the front of the church or anything like that, but just right where you sit, heads bowed and eyes closed, just between me, you, and God. If you say, Pastor, that's me, I wanna know that I know. I can't play with it. I wanna know. It's the times we're living in, what I'm seeing in the earth, I wanna know, and I'm not sure. Pray for me. I want you to lift your hand right now. Come on, you better do it right now. Right now, right now. Leave them up, leave them up, leave them up. God bless you. And you, and you, and you, and you, I see you. God bless you, I see you. You, 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 I see. God bless you up there, I see you. Praise God for you. I want to pray with you. Those of you, I see you right up there. All of those of you who are watching online, I want you to pray this prayer. We're going to pray together right now. I want you to pray this from your heart and mean it. It's a prayer of surrender and forgiveness and faith. And I want us in this room to pray with all of those who lifted their hands, all those who are praying online right now. Somebody's eternity is about to shift. Hallelujah. Let's pray right now together out loud. Come on, everyone pray. Dear God, Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I surrender my whole life completely to you. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me to live for you. I want to go to heaven one day. And I commit my eternity into your hands. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. A church, can we just give a big celebration to all those who came to Jesus today? Listen, if you're, if you're in the room and you, you made that prayer of your heart in that moment, you made a fresh start with God, would you do me a favor? Would you reach into the seat back in front of you? There's a connection card. Would you just pull it out, take a second to fill out your information? We'd just love to know who you are. We'd love to celebrate with you and pray with you. And you can drop that card in one of the offering containers. The ushers will be holding them in the exits. And just let us, man, let us pray for you. Let us know who you are and celebrate with you. We'd love to do that. There's some next steps we have it here at Vibrant to help you in your relationship with God. And we wanna just come alongside of you in that way. And as you know, this is part of our service where we would normally come into a moment of generosity and give to the Lord and we freely receive, and I want us to freely give. Those of you who are watching online, thank you for your partnership. 
thank you for supporting and pouring in and sowing into the work of God and, and helping us to reach and change lives here. And as you know, we're not passing offering containers in the services for safety reasons, but they are available. There are three ways that you can actually give. You can, you can, if you're in the room, you like to give physically, that's fine. You can use the envelopes, but instead of buckets being passed, we're gonna actually have our ushers in the exit ways. You can drop it. We can give as you go uh, this morning, but there's two other ways that most of us give, and that's online. You can give online, vibrantchurch.com slash giving, or you can also text to give. You can text the word vibrant to 77977, and you can be a part of what God's doing. It'll give you some secure steps. Thank you for partnering with us to reach people for Jesus Christ each and every week. Thank you so much, man. We know God's gonna bless you for it. In fact, yesterday was Serve Day here at Vibrant. How many of you enjoyed Serve Day, man? It was amazing. So many people showed up yesterday to serve our community. You know what I love? I love as we're being inundated with bad news everywhere we turn today. Yesterday was a moment that the good news of Jesus was in action. And we mobilized the Red Shirt Army to go into our city yesterday. And we had so many outreach projects to just bless people, minister to people, to be a light of Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And can I just show you a little highlight about what God did yesterday on Serve Day? Check this out. So when you get to serve, what you get to do really is pour into other people's lives and you get to build relationships and you get to meet new people and hopefully be a light in their life where maybe if you didn't serve, you wouldn't have that chance. So serving, serving really opens doors to relationships and meeting new people and bringing other people into the house. Today we're cleaning out all the old storage areas and looking for what we can donate to other churches, other persons in need, being able to do for others, not so much looking at ourselves. I've got enough. It's not a lot, it's, it's enough. So uh, being able to go out there and do for others. The lessons that um, make us who we are successful and I guess closer to God are established when we're younger. And that's why it's important to start in these communities, especially in uh, areas that aren't so well off as some of the rest of us, um, so that we share in the, in the wealth and the things that we've been given. You never know what people may be going through. Um, and a lot of times to me, it's not about what you do for them. I think it's just about your presence and, um, you know, just you being there and just knowing that someone cares. Come on, can you give God some praise, everybody? Isn't that awesome? Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who participated in Serve Day. And guys, look, this is why we give. This is why we sow into the work of God. This is why we return the tithe to the Lord and invest in being a light in a dark world so that many people can come to Jesus. Thank you so much for your partnership. Hey, would you stand to your feet? Listen, don't miss Wednesday night. Like I said, these two series are cousins, so we're, starting, we're looking at the prophetic future of God on Sunday, but on Wednesday nights, we're gonna be talking about how then should we live in the days that we're in. Don't miss our study of James, How Faith Works, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Can I pray a blessing over you before we leave? Come on, would you just open your hands and receive this? I just pray the Lord bless you, that he keep you, that he make his face shine upon you, that he be gracious to you and turn his face toward you and he give you peace in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen, everybody? Hey, God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night.